Hey, I'm Carlos Frias, and this is Sundial. Donna Khalil loves snakes, but she also has to kill them. That's the life of a python hunter. Donna grew up in South Florida, loving all kinds of snakes and reptiles. She'd get lost for hours in the natural beauty of the Everglades. She thinks snakes are beautiful, but they're a threat to the glades, and so Donna hunts them, yanks them out of the delicate ecosystem one at a time. It's a Sisyphean task. There always seems to be a new snake to replace a dead one. But that doesn't stop Donna. And that's why filmmaker Matt Deblinger thought she'd make a great subject for his new film, Python Huntress. It's a short documentary playing during the Miami Film Festival this weekend. Now, Matt's no snake lover, but that didn't stop him from grabbing his gear and following Donna into the marsh. He's there with her when she stares down a python in the tall grass and snatches them with snake-like reflexes. That's quite a thing to watch. Fortunately, Donna left the snake at home today and brought Matt instead. Welcome to you both. Now, I did say that you did leave the snake at home, but you, you brought it uh, metaphorically <laughs> with us. You're, you're, you're in snake regalia. So describe a little bit your 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 snake outfit head to toe here. Yeah, I I, I might be wearing a, a shirt and a sweater with a pattern on it, python pattern, and uh, some shoes with some python, and maybe a bag that was made out of one of the pythons that I did have to uh, remove from the glades. Yeah. Reuse, recycle, <laughs> reuse, reuse, right? Give it a give it a life that uh, doesn't uh, involve damaging the environment <laughs> right matt you got some too i saw i saw you whipped out your wallet a little earlier yes i have a python in my back pocket uh, <laughs> i got it from uh from donna's husband craig who i work with as a secret santa gift like three or four years ago and so uh, i've never looked back since it's my favorite wallet <laughs> oh that's awesome and it's beautiful it's got all this different scaling on it can you hold up your purse donna real quick sure because I want to, I want to take a second look at it. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's this lovely kind of brown leather with this brown leather snakeskin right down the middle of it. It's, it's actually its face. If you see that, that's it. This is about a ten foot python that uh, we made this out of, and yeah, that's. <laughs> you're you're creeping me out, Donna. You're creeping me out. <laughs> you know, I think um, something that makes great film is conflict, and I think that the heart of the conflict in there, and you can just see it in your eyes at one point in your film, Python Huntress is this moment where you know you hunt snakes to get them out of the ecosystem but you also talk about them so lovingly and you know that you have to euthanize them right and i wonder what that's like for you someone who's a who's a an avid lover of reptiles yeah it's it's difficult and it really doesn't get easier um but the way i sleep at night is uh, i know that every single python that i take out of the everglades is saving hundreds of lives of the uh, animals that do belong in the everglades mm. so that's you know it's a hard choice but but it has to be made but you know i i nearly didn't take the job because of that part of it but there's there's really nothing else that can be done there's so many of them uh, that you can't rehome them. <laughs> they're they're not pets anymore anyway. Uh, they've been out uh, in the environment for I don't know, 13, 14 generations. So you know these are not pets. These are wild animals, and they are wreaking havoc in the Everglades, uh, eating pretty much every mammal that there is. And now they're onto birds and and uh, and alligators. See that so, to me is stunning. Um, yeah. Because you you grew up down here. Yes. Um, describe to me. Well, you grew up here. You've been here since the '60s, right? Yeah, '69. Um, and and where did your family come from? 
Uh, weren't, well, you, weren't you in Caracas at some point? Yeah, All yeah. Right. Prior to prior to moving to, to Florida, we were in Caracas. And prior to that, I don't remember. Those are my first memories. I was a, a young child. What were and, you doing in Caracas? Uh, my dad is uh, it was uh, military, and um, he, he was a radio operator. And he was that was his last, last cush job. He was basically flying generals around, uh, you know, uh, down there in, in Venezuela and, and the islands. We got to see some of the islands down there and everything. But what was cool about being in Venezuela is we lived on a house up on the mountains and our patio our our roof was flat so it was like a patio so my dad and I I mean I'm five six seven years old and my dad and I would play that I spy with my little eye you know and climb up on the roof yeah we'd be up on the roof I mean it was it was like a patio roof Mm -hmm. and we'd look out over the jungle which is what it was back then in, in Venezuela South South American jungle and we'd be looking for you know, birds, ocelots, snakes, you know, any, you, you name it, what is in a jungle we could see in our backyard. And so we would sit there for hours just looking at, at for animals. So yeah, I, I have a trained eye for this and that's real important because you can't catch them if you can't see them. So definitely have to be able to find those pythons and it's not easy. It's, it's not an easy task. So your dad was really kind of at the heart of you kind of love, falling in love with nature? Yeah. Yeah. My dad and my two brothers, my, my brothers were, you know, wild childs, you know, wild children. And I wound up following in their footsteps and, and, uh, you know, I just thought that was normal to do. You go chase anything that moves and, you know, and, uh, whatever you catch, you get to play with for a little bit and then let go and until um, it bites you or it, or it escapes, yeah, you know, I've been bit by a few different things, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have this great perspective. You come to South Florida mm-hmm. um, in this in the late '60s, and describe what the environment is like that you are are surrounded in. So I lived up in North Miami, where pretty much where Aventura is now. That's where I used to. That was my backyard. You know, as a kid, I, after school, I would run around and, and look for things to to chase and catch, you know, and play with. Um, <laughs> what kinds yeah. of things were you seeing then? Uh, basically little snakes and lizards and, and you know, that, that sort of thing. It, it was really mostly like that. Uh, but, you know, there were the rabbits. I mean, we had a big problem with crabs, uh, the, the land crabs back then. I mean, literally where we were, the, the crabs were moving across the street so much that you couldn't drive down the road without them, without running them over. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I went out looking for snakes, you know, snakes and lizards and stuff like that. And yeah, people people remember that. If uh, forget that if you go back three or four decades, that like you'd have the time of year where the crabs would be yeah. coming across the road, like you see in kind of viral videos and yes. such. Yeah, exactly. South, uh, uh, Cutler Ridge was one of our. We had an author in here who talked about that exactly. Yeah, uh, oh, we're talking back in the '70s, so yeah. there was you know, Aventura was not there. You know, it was just literally not there, and so um, yeah, that was my playground. And then we would, my dad would, my dad would take us out to the ocean and, and out into the Everglades and, you know, that would expand our, our, our exploration areas. And yeah, you'd see the rabbits and the raccoons and the possums and everything. And, and now you don't, which is, which is why I'm so adamant about trying to remove as many pythons as possible, because I, I want to try to get that back. I'm, I'm, I'm really working hard to, to try to get that back when, one snake at a time, one yeah. python at a time. Yeah. And Matt, what about you? Like you're, you're like I'm looking at you. You're not in a snakeskin covered outfit, but, <laughs> but but tell me about your background. Did you also grow up like really close to nature? But I understand like snakes were not high on your love of animals list. Right, exactly. So I grew up in Miami, um, in 45th and Biscayne area, so North Miami. So I was more on the Biscayne Bay side, going out on the boat with the friends and hanging out there. Uh, I did go to the Everglades, you know, on airboat tours and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say the Everglades were necessarily my backyard like Donna. Um, city kid. I'm, right, city kid, exactly. But but you're in South Florida, so you get exposure to, to a natural environment. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate because I, I've learned 
how robust the Everglades were in their, their mammal life through Donna. Uh, and I didn't get to experience that growing up. I didn't see that. I didn't see rabbits or otters or anything like that in the Everglades. And it wasn't until actually making this film when we went back and looked at archive footage that we actually discovered wow, but, you know, what Don's talking about is, is true. There actually were an abundance of mammals back in the Everglades. It wasn't just desolate, you know, snakes, birds, and rats. Um, and so that was kind of my upbringing in Miami. Uh, you know, the North Miami city boy, where went out to the Everglades every now and then. But it wasn't until we started making this film that I really took a deep dive in the Everglades and fully appreciated what it used to be versus what it is now. Right. Donna, can you talk a little bit about what it was like, wh- how you saw things change, at what point you really saw it tipping. Like, it sounds like you went out to the Everglades pretty regularly. And regularly, got to know- yes. Um, I, I really made a change from my backyard, which was uh, the Everglades, uh, as, a, as, as a younger child, to the ocean. Um, and I really got into spearfishing and lobstering and, and uh, all the way up until, you know, having kids. I, that, that became my life. And, uh, you know, avid avid fisherman, uh, spear fisherman and, and, and lobstering. And I, you know, that's a whole nother story about watching the coral reefs. And and, yeah, the, and nothing tires out the kids more than getting them out in the hot sun and, and swimming around yeah, for a while in yeah, the water. Yeah, 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 but yeah, the reefs are a whole other discussion. Uh, yeah, and, but, but uh, so after the kids, um, you know, graduated and, and, and went off, um, I was doing real estate and whatnot, and I needed to get back out into the, in a, into the wild and I, back in 2005, I guess it was that that article in Miami Herald came out and it showed a big alligator, you know, exploding from the, the stomach of a python. Oh, right. It was like an Ouroboros where the snake was trying to eat the alligator yeah. and the alligator was trying to eat the snake. Well, actually, the snake had eaten the alligator, but it was too big a meal and it actually exploded. Yeah, yeah. I have that problem. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah, so that's what got me back into the Everglades. And when I was driving back in there and, and realizing like, yeah, where are all the animals? Where are the rabbits? Where Where, where is all this? And, and, and you know, back Back before 2005, people didn't believe that it was the pythons that were doing it. They were trying to come up with some other reason, you know, why all these animals were disappearing. You know, they, they wouldn't believe that it was pythons. But the problem is, is that you, didn't, you weren't finding the pythons because they're just too hard to find. And you weren't finding any carcasses of animals because they were inside the pythons. And once they're, after they're eaten, they, you know, they don't come out as an animal. Yeah, you, it doesn't look like yeah. an animal anymore. Exactly. Right. So they literally, they literally disappear. They literally disappear into the into the environment. You had this a, a, an interesting perspective in the sense that you had left it for a while and came back yes. and were able to compare it yes. with some distance versus that slow, gradual, right. Right. gradual loss. Yeah. And so what made you decide to become a python hunter? Like how did that how did you get to the point where you said this is something that I feel like I have to do that I can contribute to? Yeah, I yeah, I did follow the the the, uh, the story prior to 2005, but that picture actually like oh my god there's a problem and guess what i have i have a certain set of skills that can can help with this i have a certain set of skills <laughs> yes <laughs> and uh so it's like yeah absolutely that's when i started that's when i started searching for them and um and you know the, there was the python challenge in 2013 i i i was a part of that 2016 i was a part of that i became a volunteer for the parks for for both everglades national and and uh, big cypress the python and, challenge being uh, kind of a, just to catch folks up folks up it's like yeah. uh, it's a big hunting thing go out and try to catch as many pythons as you can we give a prize to the person who catches the most right. weight the most snakes yeah 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 um you have about 10 days to to do that in it first started in the in the winter months and now it's in the summer months and pretty proud to say that i've won a couple of those yeah, i was <laughs> gonna say do you think going through those experiences and I, i'm sure matt that you've kind of had this experience looking from the outside 
Do you think people first realized when you got the numbers back of how many catches were, how hard it is to get well, these, to catch them? Yeah, I already knew. I, uh, you know, I, I was uh, 2013. I didn't come across any. 2016, I didn't come across any, um, and I knew how difficult it was. You know, because I literally I've been searching for pythons from 2005. That's when I. Now, granted, not on a daily basis like I do now. You know, I, I literally kind of had to, you know, tell my my husband and my and my kids, it's like, hey, you want to go out in the Everglades and have a nice day out there <laughs> and not say anything about looking for pythons? So it wasn't like, let's go catch pythons. You know, so it was, you know, it was kind of a, a gradual thing into it and, and not a all, you know, all out, let's all look for them kind of right, thing. Right. Uh, oh. Tell me about that. Tell me about that first time you caught a python. Do you remember going out for the first time and, and doing that the first time uh the first time we actually came across one uh it was christmas night 2015 um oh, with Merry the christmas. family yeah yeah <laughs> we had <laughs> we had eaten at the rusty pelican and then it's like let's go for a ride out in the everglades and <laughs> and literally came across one crossing the road on 41 so it was a 12 footer and yeah well. and what'd you do well, <laughs> you hopped out of your car uh, yeah, and tackled yeah. a twelve-foot snake. Yeah, yeah, it was the first one. It was the first one that uh, that we came across, and unfortunately, we did run it over the first time because we were going fifty-five miles an hour, and and when we ran it over, we turned around and came back, and the darn thing was turned turned around and, and leaving the road. So I hopped out and grabbed it real quick and pulled it out by the tail, and this thing turned around and tried attacking me. And I'm like trying to keep it from biting me and everything. And I'm looking back at the roads, like where did the one that we just ran over, you know, cause we hit it with all four tires and five people in the car. And this thing was not dead at all. I mean, it was fighting me like crazy. And it's a 12 foot snake. It was the very first one that I had to fight was a 12 foot snake. And he was like striking up at, at my face almost. So well, thankfully. you're you're describing like a horror movie. So Matt, I can see exactly <laughs> why you hear, heard these stories and decided this would probably make a pretty good film. Right, like that wasn't the ending to Donna's story. Like that's the beginning. That was the first catch. Right, it's just so fascinating. Right, that was her very first one. So this is going to get good. <laughs> right. I imagine. She says, I want to go do some more. Right, and that what number you at? You said seven hundred and forty-two pythons later. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so of course I went out. Uh, I think I think you might have as many snakes as Hank Aaron has home runs. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> that's pretty cool. I think I went out with Donna hunting. What the first time was in two thousand eighteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Uh, it's just such an adrenaline rush once you go out there. And back then, I wasn't thinking this could be a film. I just wanted to go and see what this was all about. How did you guys meet? Uh, so I work with Donna's husband, Craig, at a, at a law firm, Abali Milne, Khalil. And uh, I, so I'm an attorney. And he just invited everyone out, whoever wanted to go python hunting with his family and Donna. And so a few of us said, that sounds pretty cool. I've never done anything like that before. And so I went out once. And then a second time and a third time. Okay, and that so first also, time. Take me to that first time. You're, is it is it in the Everglades? Yes, yeah, so that was the first time. The first time was in the Everglades during the day. I think we, this is what we talked about, right, Donna? Mm-hmm. Where we were out there for hours in the hot sun, driving up and down. And uh, and then I think I was the one that actually yeah, spotted, spotted it. Yes, yeah, yeah. the first time. So I got lucky. What yeah. did you see? What did, what did this mean by spotting? Was it on the ground? Uh, so we're just driving in donna's vehicle going up and down the levees and so you're looking for uh patterns or just some different type of coloration or different shape in the grass as you're driving by like, i had the python perch then right you were up on top you had the python perch but it wasn't the state-of-the-art <laughs> python perch back back then it was just i think like, what, like piece a of plywood on top plywood, of my car yeah, yeah that oh, you're yeah. sitting on <laughs> your, your car is like the is like the everglades assault vehicle yeah right yeah. like describe it a little bit 
either one of you guys. Yeah. Yeah. You can go ahead and talk. talk yeah, about it. yeah. Well, when Matt was first on it, spotted the first one that, that he came across. It, it was literally a piece of plywood on top of the roof, and <laughs> you know, we yeah, yeah, we kind of just sit there and and look over. And uh, look to see if we can see, like you say, the pattern. And um, so, and like a pickup truck with a piece of plywood. It's over. it's a it's an expedition. It's okay. a 1998 expedition. Uh, my husband bought it for me for Christmas 1997, and you know it, it brought you know kid, my kids to to school and back and karate and dance and all that good stuff. And, and now, now it's, it's got a, a second life. Now know? it's a snake fortress. Yeah, now it's got a second life. Yeah, and it's got a big python perch on top of it. And now we have railings and lights and the whole bit, so it's a little safer, just a little. <laughs> and Matt, describe that when you first saw that. Snake, you you scouted it, which is like what a Where's Waldo moment, right? Right. It's one of those things where you uh, you first you see that, like branches or twigs, and you think it's a python, and you say python, and then you know Donna stops. You rewind. Nope, that was just a stick snake. Stick snake. <laughs> stick snake. Stick snake. Uh, and then when you finally see one, I mean, it's just the biggest adrenaline rush, and you're like, oh, that's a python. Now I know. Yeah. I get it now. And what did you and guys do? What was that? What a nine foot python? Nine and a half foot. Yeah. yeah uh, mm-hmm. Yelled python. Donna slams on the brakes. You know, you hold on, make sure you don't fall <laughs> off. And then we hop out of the car, and Donna just runs into the bushes and goes and wrestles and grabs it and brings it out. Yeah, and it's the most no, amazing thing. I don't run in. No, I, okay. <laughs> what I do is I, I went around the back side of it because if you go straight for it, it will take off. And they're much faster than I am. Right. So and and it's not even ground. It's on a levee. So it's it's it, there's there's a it's kind of like a hill going up and down a hill. So I would go down the back side of the hill because every time a snake takes off of you, any animal learn this from a young age, any time an animal tries to get away from you, it's going to go exactly the opposite way, the, the way that it came. So I'm going to go down where it came from. And it did. That one did take off on me. And uh, I was in position, though, so because it got spooked. And it jumped down the levee. And it was I was right there and grabbed it. And actually, you, you got an excellent video of me doing mm-hmm. just that, you know, because they, they do that. They will take off on you. And if you're in the right position, they'll come right at you. So, so it's you, important that you get in the right position slowly, carefully, s- quietly. Um, you try to get as close as you can. I'd rather grab a, grab him by the head from behind, um, you know, right behind the head. But um, that doesn't always happen. You sometimes have to grab the tail. You have to grab whatever you can get to. But if you're in the right position, like I was there, you get it right right behind the head and you're good to go. So it's pretty wild. So you guys are standing on top of this, this expedition. Right. You spot the snake. You leap down from it. Donna circles around it, and then it's it's coming right at her. Exactly. And in and in in your film in Python Huntress, there are moments where it's literally coming right at her. And I think there's even like a slow mo moment where you it strikes and she kind of catches it right. in midair. Yeah, that one was uh, another daytime catch. Yeah, that, yeah, it, that was showing off Donna's. Uh, snake catching skills in that one. I yeah. mean, it's just such an adrenaline rush when you when you see them. And then yep. for Donna, like as experienced as she is now, where like you just said, like it's striking in in midair. Donna can just grab by the neck, you know, mm. and wrangle it. So <laughs> yeah, one of the things that that I I want to shout out to uh, Dr. Haas. He's no longer with us, but uh, Miami Serpentarium. Uh, he was one of my idols, and uh, and he he was one that basically taught how to catch a snake because he was catching the cobras right he had his king cobra show and he would always use both hands and so he'd use one one hand as a as a basically a target for the snake and then he'd go around the back side of him and that's how i catch them still today 
Well, so. I, I want to get more into that and shout out to the old school Serpentarium. For the old, the old Floridians will remember that. Uh, we are we are talking to Donna Khalil. She's a, she's a python hunter, and we have talking to filmmaker Matt Deblinger, who's filmed a new movie about her, a documentary called Python Huntress. We'll be back with both of them in a minute on Sundial. We're back on Sundial. This is Carlos Frias, and our guests today are Donna Khalil, who's a python hunter, and Matt Deblinger, who's uh, made a, a filmed a movie about her. Uh, it's called Python Huntress, and it's showing during the Miami Film Festival, which starts Friday. Uh, his film is screening Sunday, March 5th. So, Matt, I have to ask you, what made you decide that it was important for you to tell this mo- tell this, this story? Uh so that's a great question. I mean, I've been making films since I was a kid, growing up like with Hyatt camcorders, just making movies around the neighborhood for fun. Um, I made a short film a few years ago, a uh, narrative film. I've never done anything that was in the documentary spectrum. Uh, but I, like I said earlier, you know, I would just go out with Donna hunting, and I was doing it for the adrenaline rush until I realized, wait a minute, like this is a big problem, and there's not really a proper story out there or a film talking about it from... I think Donna's perspective, and that was what really interested me and my co-director Nick, who, who's based in uh, Nick, Nicholas Orris, who's based in Denver. That was what was important for us. Uh, there's a lot of videos on YouTube about catching pythons or following python hunters out there, but there's few films or you know videos out there that show it from Donna's perspective as a herpetologist or an environmentalist that's trying to do this to save the the Everglades. And so for me, the story was like you said earlier, you know. Like, there's a huge problem. We need to raise awareness. We need to get rid of these pythons and bring the mammals back. Um, we need to do it humanely. But also, you know, from Donna's perspective, as somebody who loves snakes, it, it's like this crazy you know, complex. You know, it's, it's kind of tra- tragic in a way that you love snakes and you, you hunt snakes for a living. And so for me, it was just one of those things where when I started putting all those pieces together and really thinking about it, I was like, this needs to be a story to, to tell Floridians, you know, and, and whoever else wants to watch the film and, and learn more about this problem and what we can do. And you recognize that in her and watching her go through it, that this is that she was it was a, it was conflicting for her. Yeah. I mean, that that was really the heart of the story. We didn't know it at the time when we started filming. We were just mm-hmm. like, you know, you go out there for the Python catches, right? That's the adrenaline rush. That's exciting. And then you just learn more about it. And we knew that Donna approached the issue differently. Um, you know, she goes and she's an educator and she'll go to schools and speak about pythons. And so we understood that she was a- approaching this from the right perspective and from perspective where we would want to share that as a story. But it wasn't until we actually started going out there and learning more about Donna's childhood. You know, she talked about earlier as catching pythons and or catching snakes and being a herpetologist that we realized that there really is this like tragic complex of somebody who loves snakes that has to unfortunately euthanize them for a living. And that became kind of the heart of the story and the climax of the film when we come to this realization that, you know, this is what she does day in and day out, but it's for the better of the Everglades. Right. And snakes. Uh, I, I always like to, to try to keep them separate. You know, pythons are snakes, obviously, but I usually try to say I'm out there catching pythons, not snakes, mm-hmm. because as I said earlier, snakes, you know, and native snakes belong, including the venomous ones. Um, and they should just be left alone. And and that is also because I love snakes. That is also another reason why I'm, I'm removing pythons because they do carry pathogens that that uh, that can kill our native snakes. So 
they're yeah. they're they're kind of a, uh, a apex predator where they're killing they're killing everything. It's kind of like lionfish yes. are eating everything. Yes, these things are eating everything. Yeah. Not only are they eating the, the the food source of the other snakes, you know, and and other alligators and whatnot, but they also you know are, they're just not good for the environment even even for native snakes. So, can you yeah. can you talk a little bit about how the snakes got there to begin with? I assume that it's hobbyists. Uh, are, it's, it's can safe you take to us say, back a little it, bit? It's safe to say that it, it was that they're here because of the pet trade, hmm. because they don't have wings, so they can't fly over here from Southeast Asia. <laughs> <laughs> we have seen them swim, but that's uh, that's a long swim. Uh, right, right. So so it was the pet trade, and uh, you know you you will hear that the story still goes, and 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 Hurricane Andrew was a part of it. Um, but you know, unless they're time travelers, um, you know, pythons, you know, were here before Hurricane Andrew. They were out in the wild. They, the first one was caught out in the wild it was back in '78, I believe it was. So, and that was that. That might have been a released pet um, back then. But from '90, from '70, 70, '78 to '92, they had already started breeding um, and they were already establishing themselves. And '92 only made it. Uh, you know, when Hurricane Andrew came through uh, in '92, that only made it worse. You know, because there was there was a lot of people that were breeding snakes down in uh, down in the Homestead area, and they did get out and they did get into the Everglades. You know, and and a lot of people's pets, you know, got out uh, and away from people during Hurricane Andrew. And there are a lot of people that do release them. I, I have a ball python named Benny. <clears throat> that Who's somebody, in the film? Yes, <laughs> I believe he is. That 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 you know someone dropped it uh, at Shark Valley. So people still do it. I highly recommend don't. Uh, you know, first of all, they're not going to survive. It's not a good thing for them to be out there uh, for the environment, you know, number one and foremost. And it's not the right thing to do, you know, to, to abandon your, your pet, you know. So and that's that is a big part of how they got out there as well. Now, they, they were they were all over the United States, but they only survived down here because of the because of our weather. Well, yeah. let me ask you this: What if uh, let's let's assume that the the worst that the worst part has already happened? Someone buys a pet that they are not prepared to take care of, and now they have it and they want to get rid of it. What should they do? Uh, you know? <laughs> That's a tough one, right? <laughs> yeah, it don't is. release it in the Everglades, it, but yeah, it, it it's oof, boy. Okay, well, um, don't get it in the first place. Yeah. Well, first of all, we can't anymore. Thankfully, they are they are illegal to have. Oh, so, laws have been passed so that so you can't yeah. you can't own them. You can't, you can't have them. You can't own them. Yeah, unless you have uh, specific specific um, uh, I guess uh, permits and whatnot, and, and that's difficult to, to come across. Yeah. So. There's a couple reptile farms. I know there's one in Los Angeles. I'm sure there's some in Florida as well where they have in captivity like 18 foot Burmese pythons, and I'd imagine that was probably somebody who owned one and said, I don't want to. I don't want to release this into the Everglades. What do I do? And, you know, fortunately, some of those reptile farms will, will take them into captivity. Yeah. But, I mean, it's it takes a lot to maintain a 18-foot python. Yeah. <laughs> Give, uh, yeah. yeah, let folks know. what Like, what does it take? What's the feeding schedule for an 18-foot python? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's funny because uh, in the in captivity, not, not that I've ever had an 18-foot python. <laughs> um, in fact, I, I went to get one. Uh, I, I, I wanted a python as a kid. And my mom brought me to the pet store, and uh, she asked the right questions. She says, how big does this thing get? And they said, 18 feet. She said, no, what else do you have? <laughs> <laughs> what did you get that I wound day? up getting a boa. And, uh, yeah, and unfortunately, um, I, he didn't survive. So I, I don't know if it was, I don't know what happened, but yeah, unfortunately, he didn't survive. I mean, there's but, plenty of stories of kids with their first pet, uh, uh, yeah. it, uh, hamsters and such. That's, they, yeah. they meet the same fate. They yeah. meet their maker. And, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't happy about that. But, yeah, and that was the last time I bought a snake. And, and uh, usually I would just catch them, 
keep them for a couple of days, hide them because my mom didn't want me to keep them, and then and then let them go where I <laughs> let them go where I caught them before. But you know, the, a lot of the people, a lot of people that did get Burmese pythons, they got them at two and a half, three feet. You know, when they're hatchlings, that's that's how big they are when they come out, right? And uh, within two to three years, they can be ten feet. So instead of feeding them mice or rats, now you have to go to rabbits. And you know, who wants to feed a ten foot python or rabbit? And you have to have a much bigger cage, obviously. So it's like, and if you can't find somebody that will take it, then what do you do? You know, you love this thing. I, it's like I, I have cats now. You know, I wouldn't let my, you know, I wouldn't want to kill my cat because I can't take care of it. Right. You know what? What is? You know what? Can, you're not going to kill your own pet. So what do you do? You know, they used to have amnesty days, and I think I think FWC does still have amnesty towards uh, towards a lot of. Uh, um, pets and whatnot. The Florida uh, Fish and Wildlife Commission. Florida Fish and Wildlife. Yeah, right. I think I do believe that they will take, um, you know, exotic pets. Obviously, not cats and dogs, but you know, exotic pets, and uh, try to try to rehome them. You know, I'm I'm curious because in the, in the the one thing that really doesn't get into in the film is the euthanizing of them. I notice that they're they they go from caught to not moving around very much or being skinned. Can you tell me about how you, how, like, how do you euthanize them? Short question, no. Our answer, no. short answer is no. Unfortunately, we can't. Um, you have to go to uh, F, uh, at myfwc.com, and it'll show you how how, how, they, it's done. how you can euthanize. But I will tell you that there are laws against, um, you know, treating them inhumanely. So they are they are protected under that. So if you have to euthanize a, a, a python, you have better make sure that you're doing it. Um, properly, or or you can run afoul of the law. You have to be trained on how to how to do that, or you have to know exactly what you're doing. You should doing to... definitely know what you what what you're doing, you know, because it's not easy. I've come across pythons with 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 bullet holes in them, you know, all over. I actually came across a python that had 16 bullet holes in them, and not from a small caliber gun, and yep. uh, and I had to euthanize it on in the field because it was still alive. Right. So yeah, you you really have to be careful on uh, on how you euthanize it. Really research that yeah matt <laughs> sure. tell me about that what was that like for you as a filmmaker you're making a documentary you're trying to you know create things create show things as as uh with as much veracity as possible tell me about that decision yeah so it, it's complex i mean there's on the one hand there's already the regulations as to what you can and can't show um just in terms of protocol but i mean i i've seen donna euthanize them before and uh and i've had long conversations with my co-director nick about this you know, it's is the python the villain? Like, who's the villain of the story? Is it mankind? And I think to an extent, when you see or you know when these pythons are euthanized, I mean, you really feel for them. I mean, these are animals; they're beautiful yeah. creatures, Absolutely. and it, it's tough. And so there was actually a scene in the film that we cut where uh, we show some archive footage of congressional hearings, and uh, Bill, former Senator Bill Nelson's in one of them. Mm-hmm. And at the time of that hearing, actually, there was a a pet python that killed a two-year-old in its crib in the middle of the night oh my God. and he's talking about it and we had that in there and as we were watching the film we're like wait a minute we're now empathizing too much with these pythons because now it's like well i'm sorry we we were empathizing too much and then we had that scene and then you started hating the pythons because they killed a two-year-old right. toddler and so there actually was a balance that we had to find in making this film and you know i i, I don't even know if we would have shown the euthanization if we could because it, it really does, uh, you know, it, it's hard to, to grasp because you just feel for these pythons. But the balance that we try to find throughout the film was, are they the villain? Are mankind, is mankind the villain? Like, how much do you hate the pythons? How much do you love them? And it's tough when, you know, someone like Donna, who loves snakes in general, um, is advocating for them. But I, I think that was actually a big 
moral question of the film, like how much do we show and in what light do we portray the Python as a character? And, and where do you come down on that after after living with this, this story for a while and the, and the editing and the thinking deeply about it? I, I mean, I think that I come down similar to, to Donna. Like if these Pythons could all just be transported back to Burma, I mean, that would be the most ideal scenario. But you can't because they have pathogens um, and it's unfortunate. But when you look at the way the Everglades used to be, like through this archive footage with you know, otters and rabbits and all of that. And you just think about how it should be and what it, it's not anymore because of these pythons. You realize that unfortunately this whole process is a necessary evil for the better of the Everglades. Um, I don't know if we have this in the film, but Donna, one of Donna's heroes is Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. And she was a big champion of the Everglades. And so you think, you know, all this work that's been put in conservation efforts and has been put into the Everglades for the past, what, five, six, seven decades now, uh, a lot of that was lost because of these pythons. And so, I, you know, where I come down is it, it's unfortunate that this problem has gotten as bad as it is and there's hundreds of thousands of pythons in the Everglades. Um, but if there's an opportunity to make a difference and, you know, help the mammal life and the native species that are there, you know, that really is what needs to be done, unfortunately. I want to take a little break here. And when we come back, I want to talk about what it's like to see yourself in the film, Donna and also uh, about the, the process of, of making the film, Matt. Uh, we're talking with Donna Khalil, who's a Python hunter, and Matt Deblinger, who's the filmmaker of the new film Python Huntress. Be back in a second. Welcome back to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias, and our guests today are Donna Khalil. She's a Python hunter, and Matt Deblinger, who's made a film about her called Python Huntress. It's showing during the Miami Film Festival, which starts Friday, and their film is screening Sunday, March 5th. If you missed any part of this conversation, all our Sundial episodes are available on our daily podcast. Guys, so talk to me a, a little bit about, uh, Donna, what it's like to see yourself in the film. You you go through this this process and uh, it's just part of your, your daily life, but what is it like to step back and see yourself on screen, uh, all those bits? Well, you know, it's funny. A lot of the times, even when I'm when I'm hunting, I... I, I I'm almost in a third person kind of thing. It's like, wow, am I really doing this? And it's like, wow, is that really me? You guys did such a great job in in uh, in in making me look good oh, <laughs> out <you>. there. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I think it's it's pretty it's pretty cool, you know, to 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 be a part of this uh, this project that Matt's Matt's done. And and um, yeah, it, it's 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 an honor, you know. And and I'm I'm glad that he did it because yeah, I, it's. Like you say, I, I do love the snakes, and um, I I want to I I love the pythons as well. I don't believe that they're evil. You know, they they are a part of the environment. Unfortunately, they're part of the environment here that they don't belong in, and uh, and, and so they're just going to do what pythons do. And um, unfortunately, it's not the right thing for for here because we just don't have anything that will take them out other than ourselves. Right. <laughs> Matt, know? we we get to see on screen how difficult it is to catch them. Take us what's happening behind the camera. Your life as a filmmaker, what did it take to get some of that footage that we saw? Uh, I think there was six days of shooting spread over the course of three years, actually. Wow. We, we started shooting in October 2019, and then a little thing like called COVID came. And <laughs> it's a problem. Yeah, and installed everything. And then we kind of just had this at the back in the back burner. And then in September this past year is when Nick and I were talking about it, and we said, look, we've got half a film we you know it's a beautiful story it's something that i think we want audiences to know about and raise awareness about this issue 
So we shot for three more days this past uh, September. Uh, and, you know, it's exhilarating, you know, going out there till four or five in the morning with Donna. We've got a bunch of camera equipment on our laps, you know, and it's 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 fun because we're looking for pythons by the same time we're making a film. And so for 90 percent of the night, I'd say it's just python hunting, right? It's just driving up and down the levees, looking for the pythons. And then that 10 percent is there's a python. Turn on the camera, like Donna, you know, slow down. Don't jump out of the car just yet. Hold on. We're, we're gonna make sure the microphone's on. We're gonna make sure the camera's on. And so there was a lot of a lot of that. And I think there might have been one or two catches. Either we didn't get, you know, right right on right on time because of that. But you know, of course, you know, we're out there just catching pythons, and that's a priority. But it was a fun process, you know, to go through all that. Matt, what, what's your background in filmmaking? How did you how did you get into? You're like a lawyer by day and filmmaker by night. <laughs> that's exactly what I <laughs> like. The, you're like the uh, resume, the yeah. Spielberg Batman. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. No, I've always been passionate about film. Um, my mother, who's no longer with us, she was very passionate about filmmaking as well, and she actually has a she had a couple scripts that she wrote. So I kind of got that from her. And, uh, and then I graduated college from FSU. I needed to go, go to grad school and figure out what to do. And I got into law school and it just made sense at the time. Um, but I always had this passion for, for film. And so during law school, I, I shot my first short film, which was a narrative film that's on uh, Amazon Prime right now called Dark Deco. And that was like my film school, basically, since I didn't go to film school, you know, like from casting to working with an original composer. That's how I learned how to make films. And, uh, and that really, I think that was released in film festivals around 2019. So yeah, this actually really became, Python Hunters became the second, the next project. And October 2019 is when we started shooting it with Donna. So it kind of was just perfect timing where my transition from my filmmaker boot camp with my first film led into, okay, now let's make a documentary about Python hunting of all stories. And, <laughs> you know, I'm just drawn to fascinating, compelling stories. And so this was kind of like a no-brainer as the next project. Right. And th there's another part of the that doesn't make the film, but we know this about Donna from past stories, is you use parts of the snake. Mm -hmm. Like there is the snake comes with skin, which I see you've made a bag out of. And, and Matt, you have a beautiful wallet. They can. I, I read that they can lay some somewhere between 50 and 100 eggs a year. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the very curious way you use those eggs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Come on, Donna. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah, I'll, I'll make cookies with them. <laughs> <laughs> and, right. and jerky. And jerky. And yeah. pasta bolognese. Yeah. Snake yeah. jerky. Yeah. Pasta bolognese with, with snake with snake meat. Uh, what, what what kind of cookies do you make with? Uh, I, I like with... chocolate chips, so that's, that's what I generally Can make. you tell? Can you tell? You cannot tell. What does a snake egg look like when you ha when you crack it open? What does it look like on the outside? You don't when you crack, crack it. it. It's it's kind of leathery. Uh, the, the skin is leathery. Oh, Donna. <laughs> So you almost have to cut it, and uh, and and basically it's uh, it's almost like a cream that comes out of it. It's like a yeah a creamy colored substance that's uh, yeah. That's it, tough, Donna. That's it, tough. It is. It's what, it's tough. Yeah. You know? what, what are the be honest. What is it? What do the cookies taste like? The cookies, I think, are it, it's more a mental thing as you're eating it. You're like, I'm eating a python right now, but right. you can't really taste it. For me, I think it was more like the python jerky and the pasta. And, I mean, what, what did we do, like 50-50 burgers with hog and python? Oh, come like, on, those were good. <laughs> the hog component was good. I, I think we shot some of it, and then it's just like there, there's just too much to explain behind this whole process of Donna cooking the pythons where it just yeah. didn't make it to the film. But, you know, I, I appreciate that, you know, she's trying to find a second life for them, and yeah. this is a way to do it. Exactly. And so the the, the beginning, um, again, the reason I, I didn't want to take this is because I, I have – 
shot fish and small game, you know, hunter, my family's a hunt, hunters, uh, always have been. Um, and the spearfishing, the lobstering, uh, you know, it comes, it comes naturally because we're killing an animal to eat it. Um, I was raised, you do not kill an animal if you're not going to eat it. So these are the first ones, you know, the first animals that I had to kill, um, without planning on eating it. And the reason being is, is that, you know, they're, they're, everything in the Everglades has high uh, concentrations of mercury. Right, that's the so, big problem with with necessarily with eating them. Exactly, but because figured, they eat everything else that's been eating a little bit of mercury, and so it builds up in them. Exactly, and uh, and I figured, you know what, um, I'm going to go ahead and take a chance, and I will uh, make, you know, python jerky and and experiment here and there with with uh, small pythons, usually about seven, seven and a half feet. So you get a good amount of meat off of them, um, but they're only going to be like two years old. So they're not out in the Everglades for, for long. So hopefully they won't have a high concentration. And when I do eat something that's that's made with python, I won't eat tuna because, you know, when you buy that can of tuna, also you take mercury. a look. Yeah. Take a look on that label and see what it says. You know, yeah, yeah the high concentrations of mercury. Exactly. exactly. But it, it seems like there's a part of you that says, you know, that that's a little bit of trying to make peace with it is like exactly. what, what can we do with this with this animal in a way that honors it right. uh, uh, give without... it a second life that's not uh that's not dangerous to the environment yeah yeah your, your family is featured in, in the film yes. uh tell me about <laughs> tell me about them uh do are they all do, do they all love reptiles and have they all got into the state or is there one that hasn't committed? Uh, no so so craig my husband and i we we met i think i was 14 and he was 15 and I had a, a pet snake under my hat. So he knew he knew what he was getting into. He definitely knew what he was getting into. But he was not a, a snake lover. Don, is that a snake under your hat? Or are you just happy to see him? <laughs> it was both. <laughs> but, but and then my kids, you know, I raised my kids to, to, to love all animals. Uh, but none of them are, you know, snake enthusiasts as, as I am. They never had their own pet snakes. Um, you know, we all have cats. You know, they're much cuddlier. You know, more yeah. more, more enjoyable. To, yeah. Although to sometimes cuddle, cats can be just as cold as snakes. Some <laughs> cats can be cold as snakes. We've been very fortunate. We have very good pet cats. But um, but yeah, no, they they they're not afraid of snakes. They're you know they're just it's just not their thing. Uh, but they love to go out in the Everglades. And uh, you know, I do. I try to get them out there uh, at least once a month or so, uh, so we can all share in the excitement of uh, you know helping the environment in the way that we do. Tell me about what it is about being in the Everglades when you're not hunting snakes that people should really understand and get a chance to if if they're from here and haven't spent a lot of time there or are you know we have so many new people from everywhere else in the country moving here what are the things in the glades that you want people to appreciate well i'm always hunting snakes i always have (laughs) (laughs) but i can't get that out of my my head but there's so many times where um i'm out there and i we're not going to find a python every day so i want to enjoy myself out there so i try to get out before sunset and watch a beautiful sunset over the Everglades. Oh my God! Or, or if you're not a night person, you know, go go in the morning and watch a sunrise. And just the serenity of it of that is just absolutely amazing. The beauty of of the calmness. Um, you know, you, you see the birds flying over. Uh, you know, any little insect on a on a blade of grass. You know, uh, dragonflies and. I just I love it all. You know, you have to take in everything to appreciate it. Um, everything from the small little blade of grass blowing in the wind to a beautiful sunset. You know, it's just it, to me, it's all beautiful. And and you know, you you, you can enjoy it. You know, you can, everyone can enjoy it. Um, I wouldn't recommend doing what I do <laughs> first time out. Uh, but um, 
but yeah, get out there into the parks and, and really enjoy what we have down here. We're very blessed to have a beautiful environment, both on the ocean and, and in the Everglades. Yeah. Matt, Matt, for a guy who was a, a city kid, exactly, how is making this film and spending that much time in the Everglades uh, affected the way that you think about it? Oh, I mean, I, I, I loved it. Like, I absolutely love going out there. Uh, like I said earlier, you know, most of the night we're not catching pythons. We'll go out there at 7 p.m. and leave at 4 a.m. And most most of the night is really just appreciating the the Everglades. And it's just so calm and peaceful out there. So being a city kid and not going out there, like, as a child or as much as, you know, maybe I would have liked, uh, it's just so therapeutic and, and really beautiful out there. And so I definitely have this newfound appreciation for what's in our backyard. I mean, Everglades National Park, it's a national park, and a lot of people kind of forget that. And so, uh, I mean, I absolutely love going out there, even when we're not catching pythons. If we don't catch one that night, you know, it's sad that if we don't catch one, but mm-hmm. the trade-off is we got to spend the entire night driving up and down the Everglades where it's just nice and peaceful, yep. no city lights. You get to see all the stars. I mean, it's such an incredible experience. Yeah, I always try to stop the car, in, you know, in the middle of the night out there and turn off all the lights and just watch the stars, let our eyes refresh and um, just, yeah, enjoy the, you know, there's only um, a few places in the country where you can see a night sky and we're blessed with having both Big Cypress and Everglades National. So if you want to go out and see some falling stars, I mean, you could pretty much see falling stars almost every night if you get out there and and, uh, enjoy that. And, you know, like when we would, I'm sure I stopped and that yellow rat snake, you know, mm-hmm. I, again, I love all snakes. So when I come across the native snakes, I got to go and play with it like I'm a little eight-year-old right, again. We, you know? we don't just stop for pythons. We stop for everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's a good, you should make that into a bumper sticker. <laughs> we stop for all snakes. We yeah. stop for snakes. There you go. There you go. You know, there's a part of this that I, I always think about uh, when I planted a um, butterfly garden in my backyard. Mm-hmm. Pretty soon I had curly tails eating all the butterflies and all the, and all the, the caterpillars. And I thought, I actually have a curly tail farm so and I kind of I was like I resigned myself to like this is not going to work out the way that I saw it is there a part of you that wonders are we just resigned to living with pythons or can we get can we get can we turn the corner on them all right well first of all curly tails are horrible yes um thank you yeah (laughs) yeah I I mean you know we have the Miami uh blue butterfly that's in on the endangered species list and the curly tail probably will take it out it'll probably it'll be one of the reasons why it it finally goes extinct because of those darn curly tails um but with with the pythons you know you can't resign yourself because you know there's a lot of people that say oh come on you're you're never going to catch them i'll just leave them out there it's like okay if we if you know if we decided to leave them all out there they all can get to be 18 feet long and they all will not stay in the everglades they are already coming into our neighborhoods you know you can find them in Doral, you find them in in uh in pinecrest i mean I, i've been all over the place you know people calling me i've got a python and they show me a picture and it's like yep you got a python where are you pinecrest oh my god okay so they're coming in i thankfully they're all they've all been about seven to ten feet but could you imagine 18 foot pythons climbing all over the city of Miami and Fort Lauderdale and Naples and you know basically all of South Florida no we have to do something about it we put them there we need to get them out I mean I can picture Matt's next movie but it's like a Hollywood thriller (laughs) and it stars The Rock right exactly that's the spinoff right there (laughs) what do you hope that folks will take away from uh, your film when they sit down and watch it and and watch Donna's passion in her life what do you hope that they will leave the theater with I, I hope that they feel inspired by Donna 
you know, on the, just on a personal note and on a human level, I think that Donna is doing what she loves and that's really inspiring. And a lot of people do not do what they love. I mean, I love making films and I got to make a film about somebody who does what she loves. <laughs> and so I, I really hope that everyone gets inspired by just her story and, and motivated in that respect. And then of course, just in general about the Python problem, uh, I hope that everyone becomes a little bit more aware of what the issue is, does some research, um, finding ways to contribute, whether they want to go out and volunteer with folks like Donna or they want to become involved themselves. I, I really hope that that touches some people in that regard and we have more Python hunters out there because of it. What about for you, Donna? What do you hope that folks will take away when they see the, mom- the movie? Um, yeah, it basically make aware, make people aware that there is a problem. Uh, don't release your pets. Uh, if you are going out there to, uh, to, to try to help with the problem, unfortunately I am limited to the volunteers that I'm allowed to take out. Um, so you definitely want to learn the, the dangers of getting out there and, and helping and, uh, and, you know, know that, um, if it's done right, it, it's, it's an important thing. So just be careful and be respectful, you know, be respectful of, uh, of the pythons and the rest of the environment when you're out there. In the last couple of seconds, what's the best way for folks to, to find out more information and to get involved? I think myfwc.com uh, will get you started on, on uh, the world of pythoning uh, out there in South Florida. <laughs> well, Donna Khalil uh, is the Python Elimination Specialist. She works for the South Florida Water Management District as a contractor hunting pythons. And the man that caught her doing it was Matt Deblinger, who's uh, made a new movie called Python Huntress that's showing during the Miami Film Festival, which starts Friday. The film is screening Sunday, March 5th. Thank you both for joining us on Sundial. Thank Thank you you so much. And that's Sundial for Thursday, March 2nd. Leslie Ovalle-Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News, and Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Mertz is WLRN's vice president of radio and Sundial's engineer. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up next week on the program, oh my God, it's him. You might have seen Ruben Rabassa in the new Ant-Man movie or the Miami remake of Father of the Bride, but the Cuban-American actor has been doing it for over 50 years, and he tells us why his career is finally taking off in his 80s. I'm Carlos Frias. Thanks for listening. WLRN Public Media.